0: a long while since I've recorded. Uh, a lot's happened since I last recorded. Actually, uh, the last episode went up and I had some great feedback. Uh, people really enjoyed uh, the interview with Sam. I really enjoyed making it. It was actually a really fantastic recording. And then, you know, Sam and I have been friends for years, and I still learned a lot about him. But what's happened since I've gone? Uh, so I moved back home into my actual house with my parents which made it quite difficult to record because both my parents are currently working from home due to uh, coronavirus. Uh, so I was home for about a week and a half. Um, was sort of planning some stuff, trying to get uh, sort of topics and things re- uh, ready to record. And then I had the opportunity to come and stay with my girlfriend. Um, so I got a corona test and things like that. And I came up to England um, and I've been here for just about two weeks now. And I'm finally sitting down to record, um, and you'll see what obviously I'm going to talk about now. Uh, by the you know, spoiler, the title uh, we're going to be reviewing and talking about: "Knives Out," uh, the 2017 or 2019, sorry, 2019 mystery film directed by Ryan Johnson. Uh, I watched it finally um, about a week ago, and I absolutely adore it. I, it's Probably one of my favourite films now, so very much looking forward to talking about that. Uh, quick plugs, let's get them out of the way quickly. If you want to follow me on Twitter, my personal Twitter is at JamesReese8. If you want to hear my ramblings about uh, rugby, West Ham United, and various other things, uh, you can give me a follow on there. If you want to give the pod Twitter a follow, it's at James on a tangent. Uh, just for, uh, slowly updating that as we go along. As soon, you know, when the podcast uh, gets back to sort of regular recording, uh, I'll start posting more and more on there. Um, so, yeah, give that a follow. Uh, follow me on ACAST, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. They're the three places which I upload currently. Um, I've got some stuff in the works. I'm hopefully getting a proper logo sorted out soon. Um, I'm. Once I move back into my student house, where I'll be there for you know ten months or whatever, we will um, get something sorted uh, in terms of regular setup for recording. Because currently I've got my microphone, got my headphones, and I've got my laptop. but I just want something a bit more permanent uh, for me to actually sit down and record on. So here we are, Knives Out. Now, for those who don't know, Knives Out is a uh, American mystery, sort of whodunit uh, film slash comedy film released. Uh, I think it was the latter end of last year. I might be wrong. Yeah, September 2019. Um, directed and written uh, by Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson, you may know from Looper in 2012. And also, more recently and more controversially, is Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Um, I haven't seen Looper. Can't can't uh, can't make a comment on it. But Star Wars: The Last Jedi, I actually quite enjoyed. Um, The sequel trilogy was okay. It was pretty average for me, Um, but I really enjoyed The Last Jedi. I remember a funny story actually. And when I was on my gap year, it came out. So it came out in the I think it was the November or the December of 2017. And myself and my two housemates, Nareem and Mumu, uh, we got up at I think it was something like half six in the morning. And our boss at the time was uh, was going somewhere really early. I think she was going to like a doctor's appointment or something. But she dropped us at uh, Kimpri train station, and we got a train into Newbury and. We literally got to view cinema as it opened, like the actual cinema was opening. And we went into uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi. It was the first screening of the day, uh, the day after midnight release. So it came out at midnight. People obviously did the midnight release. They went home. And then we were the first ones in the cinema. And we were the, there was four of us in the show in, in total. Uh, it's us three. And then what we think was a journalist. But we're not sure uh so that that was brilliant and that's sort of how dedicated I was to Star Wars because we finished the film and then we turned up for our I think it was like an 11 a.m meeting um because we had work obviously we were working retreats uh when I was when I was on my gap year so we we had 11 a.m meeting that's when we started work for the day Uh, but we'd see we'd seen a two two hour film in the day so that that was that was brilliant and In summary, yeah, I I quite liked the Last Jedi, um, and I thought Ryan Johnson—he's a fantastic writer and director—and I'm glad a film like Knives Out uh, came along for him because I think it sort of saved his his career. Um, How did it do? Well, on a budget of forty million, it made three hundred nine, which you know very much uh, made a profit there you know if you take into account uh, advertising uh, all all that jazz i think 309 mil off of a 40 million budget is fantastic especially with the cast list as well um and and on top of it just being you know a fantastic film i've got you know it's rated 7.9 out of 10 on imdb uh, 97% on rotten tomatoes and 4 out of 5 on amazon uk uh imdb is pretty much where i go to get my film Sort of trivia and whatnot, and I trust their judgment because that's viewer, viewer ratings. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, I don't like, I think it's a terrible website because well, you look at the people who bomb certain films because of agendas they have, but to have 97% is, is a fantastic achievement, you know, that's what they call, I think, certified fresh. And then Amazon UK, which is where we watched it, we, we bought it on Amazon, and um. Yeah, I, I, fantastic film. Uh, it was nominated for Best Original Screenplay at the Academy Awards, and uh, it was nominated for three Golden Globes, two of them for uh, Daniel Craig and Anita Armas as well, and I think the other one was for Ryan Johnson. Speaking of the cast, absolutely fantastic. I've got it here. You've got uh, the likes of Daniel Craig, Chris Evans uh, of Captain America fame, Anna De Armas, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, you've got Don Johnson, Tony Collette, Lakeith Stanfield, Catherine Langford, Jada Martell, and Christopher Plummer. And I've got you've got a cameo from Frank Oz, who so if you don't know Frank Oz, legendary puppeteer, the voice of Yoda. So a really, really strong cast. And I've actually got sort of in my review here, it's nice to see um, two in particular, Daniel Craig and Chris Evans in, in something else other than Uh, James Bond and Captain America because they I feel, you know, they've both been their respective characters for years and years now and I think a lot of people see them as their character rather than actor so it was nice to see James Bond be someone else, you know Daniel Craig is pretty much everyone's favourite Bond but it's nice to see him in a role that isn't a posh English man you know, he, he is a fantastic he plays Benoit Blanc who has this really nice sort of southern, almost new, I think it's New Orleans-esque. But it, it's absolutely amazing, amazing accent. And then Chris Evans, just to see him do something that involves swearing, you know, something as simple as that, because he is Captain America, he is this idol for young kids and and things like that. So to see him say things like eat shit and things like that, it, it it's... Refreshing as a, as a film viewer and a fan of both them actors, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is obviously a, a humongous star in uh, cinema. She is a uh, you know looking at some of her uh, cast things. Obviously, she is known for Laurie Strode in Halloween, which is probably what she is you know known for most. And not big horror fan, but even I can appreciate um, her work on that. You know, looking at other things, Freaky Friday, uh, you've got uh, Trading Places, you've got Fish Called Wanda, you've got, um, on, on TV, you've got Scream Queens. You know, she's she's done it all, basically, and, and I really think that's, uh, I really, you know, appreciate her for that. Uh you've also got then Don Johnson, you know, your mum's favourite actor, as people call him. You know, people I think he, he is uh Miami Vice, you know, he was Sonny Crockett. You know, and that, that's what people are gonna know him for as well as Nash Bridges as well. I haven't really seen him in many other things. You know, just looking at his uh his filmography now. Obviously, oh yeah, he was in Django Unchained. That's uh, Big Daddy Bennett. Uh, in TV, you know, it's, it's a lot of very uh, very y stuff for him. You know, police, things like that. He was in Watchmen, actually. Uh, the Watchmen TV series which is something I've got to re-watch, but as he was Judd Crawford in that. Who else stands out? Michael Shannon. Uh... Fans of uh, Superman will know he was obviously um, in Man of Steel. You know, fantastic. He was great in that. I, I really like Man of Steel. He was um, he was Zod in that. Uh, in other things he's done, he's obviously done Twelve Strong. He did things. Oh, I'm trying to think of things I've seen now. He's he he is a very busy man. If you look at his filmography, which is what I'm doing now, he's, he's he does a lot. You know he did he did Man of Steel and then going right the way back he did Groundhog Day, he did Pearl Harbor, he did Vanilla Sky, Eight Mile, you know, Bad Boys Two. He's he's done so so much and that's just in film. You know he's done quite a bit in TV as well. Um, Does a lot of sort of voiceover work, um, and then obviously a big big theatre actor as well. Um, um I think he's on Broadway. just off Broadway. I think he's done a bit of West End stuff as well. Um, and I've got, he's just a fantastic actor, you know. They're the ones that probably stick out most to me. Um, Lucky Stanfield as well. I've got to give a, a big shout out to him because he was uh, really underrated in this film. I don't think many people talk to him, talk about him enough in this film because he has such a small role. But he was sort of the. The link between a lot of scenes and uh, kept you, how do you say it, kept you involved between sort of Benoit Blanc's ramblings and then the ramblings of the family as well. He was sort of he was us in the situation, uh, and I really quite appreciate that. So, what is the plot of uh, Knives Out? And it's very difficult to say. Um, I'm going to try and do a non spoiler section first and then a spoiler section. So, uh, wealthy crime novelist, Harlan Thrombey, played by Christopher Plummer, invites his family to Massachusetts' mansion for his 85th birthday party. Uh, The next morning, Harlan's housekeeper finds him dead with his throat slit. The police believe it was suicide, but anonymous party pays private eye Benoit Blanc to investigate. Uh, That is a basic sort of plotline for the film. Um... So the family is made up of uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Don Johnson, uh, Chris Evans, Catherine Langford, Jada Martell, uh, Michael Shannon, Tony Killett. And then you had Anna de Armas's character, who is an uh, immigrant nurse um, who we follow through the film. She is uh, Harlan's full-time nurse who gets her hours increased not because of her nursing qualifications, but because she becomes a friend to Harlan. Um, a really nice spin on sort of, they just are a really natural chemistry. And you see that, especially in, in the first, I think it's like 15, 20 minutes of the film. They bounce off each other so well. And that's a credit to, to both Anna and to Christopher Plummer as well, because you could tell they had fun working together. And, and the script that obviously Ryan wrote Complemented that really well, and and the dialogue is something I'll, I'll comment on later. But they bounce, you know, the, the, all the characters in this film bounce off each other. Um, so that's that's the basic plot, and what it revolves around is these. This family is horrible. It is is a not very nice family. On the surface, they're all a caring family, but uh, they're not. They are. You know, somewhat racist, they're classist, you know, they're spoilt. And I think what you, what you find out in the film is is Harlan, uh, he recognises that and his actions leading up to his death are sort of an act of penance for him because he realises that he's raised his family wrong. You know, he's given certain people things and what he decides to do... Uh, which which I won't spoil until later on. I'll I'll try and put a, a time code in for when I do go into spoilers. He does it out of love for his family, but they don't see that. Um. So what did I sort of like about this film? The music. The music is the first thing I notice in this film. It is a, it's something I commented on in episode one when I talked about uh, Star Wars. Music is the first thing I notice in a film because it. That's the thing that draws me in and keeps me entertained sometimes, because I find dialogue, especially in a lot of modern films, is quite forced and it's uh, it's it, it's just a bit wooden. But uh, so he actually worked. Uh, he is in Ryan Johnson worked with his cousin called Nathan Johnson, uh, who previously composed uh, the money the money the music for Looper, the Brothers Bloom and Brick. Um, and it's fantastic. If you've watched any sort of murder mystery, who done it type genre stuff before, uh, like Hercule po- Poirot, you know, sort of Agatha Christie things like that, you'll you'll recognise music tropes and the uh, the classical music. But they he puts a twist on this really well, and um, sort of makes it a parody of itself, but retaining that. Uh, retains the essence of a who it genre music. Um, so I you know, I've listened to the soundtrack sort of um, outside of the film and I, I it just gets me every time because you don't notice it in the film because it's it's just fantastic. You know, and it's but it sets up scenes and it's great for and it's be really nerdy diegetic and non diegetic sound. So diegetic sound is uh, sounds that you and uh, the characters in the film can hear. Non-diegetic sound is what only you can hear. So when you, when you're having cuts to say when they're all together in the house uh, to two characters in, a, in another room, the diegetic sound that the the soundtrack act, act as that bridge, but it's quite it's very natural. You don't realise it. You just hear it and you enjoy it. That's brilliant. I, I, you know, highly recommend listening to the the soundtrack. Um, I do need to get the the Blu-ray because I want to listen to the audio commentary. Um, by Ryan Johnson. I've watched a couple of things sort of on YouTube. He did he did scene breakdowns and things like that, and he's a very clever bloke. So uh, I I really uh I really uh, can't wait to uh to to watch that. Uh. I want to get into the political themes, but I'm going to talk about that in spoilers. The shot composition uh, by by Ryan Johnson is brilliant, and it's something he touches on in his um, YouTube breakdown of a scene. He always looks for a way to get characters into a shot, even if it's just one of them talking. So if you if you have, say, Lakeith Stanfield's Lieutenant Elliot talking, you'll notice that there's three other characters in. In that shot, not doing anything, but they're there and you notice them. And what Lieutenant Elliot's saying is they're reacting to it, something you wouldn't normally notice because they're off screen. You know, so for example, if Benoit Blanc makes a proclamation, we wouldn't see uh, Noah Sigan's Trooper Wagner character react to it unless it cuts to him. You know, and I think that's that is I think that's really really clever by him and sort of the use of color and the sets that they made for this film and even in terms of the little things like when you see the characters being interviewed at the start of the film you know the camera is looking at them and they made a lighting grid behind it but then made it so as if it was windows so if you see like a character has glasses you'll see in the reflection it's not just a blank reflection. It's almost like they're looking out of a window, as they would be in an actual in the actual like, house. So it's the little attention to detail like that, and his shot composition from places outside of the main house as well. Because obviously, like a murder mystery revolves around a central location, but when they do venture out of the house and they go to like a diner or a shop or something some like that, or characters are sat in a car you notice it, you know, and you notice where the camera is and the angles that they're placed at to make a certain character look a certain way. And, oh, it's just absolutely brilliant. And and the sort of, the, the film nerd in me really, really enjoys it. Um, it was all, you know, it was all filmed sort of in Boston, uh, in that New England uh, setting. I think that gives it more personality as well. Because if you have a lot of stuff is now set in like New York or L.A. And I don't know, we've seen New York and L.A. so many times before, and it's just about, you know, it's just boring now. And as much as they've got got personality and soul, I want to see something better. So to have uh, a a thing set in New England, you know, where I think there's a bit more rustic personality to it, I think is, um, I think it's fantastic. Uh, What else have I got written down here? I've already mentioned uh, Daniel Craig as something that isn't 007. I think as much as he uh, is fantastic as 007, uh, he was phoning it in for the last one. You know, Spectre. Obviously, we haven't seen No Time to Die yet, and that's something I really want to see. But if you look at Spectre, a fine film. It was okay. Uh, She was... um, He was phoning it in there. Uh... But it was nice to see him having fun, and you can you can see that in the promotional stuff as well. You know, when I looked at the um, sort of some interviews and things like that with with the cast, you can just tell he had a lot of fun making this. And you know, Ryan Johnson said that uh, the last half hour of the film is very Daniel Craig uh, based. And he memorised the whole of the last however many pages of script it was. Like it was a it was a playwright um, because there's a lot of internal mo- not an internal a lot of external monologues and things like that. And I thought that's just that's fantastic and that's really on brand for um, not only Daniel Craig but Benoit Blanc as a character as well. Uh, Chris Evans, I've also mentioned again. You know, he. Peers, sort of the last two thirds of the film heavily and his character it's not his acting performance when he talks is what gets me it's his stuff he does when other people are talking his mannerisms because he just plays this absolute prick really really well and I, and I love that about him because you don't see that especially in the later sort of Marvel films he's quite a serious guy you know he's the the leader, he's, you know, got that stern look on his face. He very rarely has fun. But to see him in this, he's he's laid back, he's you know, he's just telling people to eat shit and that that's you know that's refreshing and more of that, you know. I want him casting things that uh, are that are more like that because I think that suits him so so well. Um, I want to just quickly go back to... I've got the camera movement written down here. How the camera moves in a shot. And there are certain... You don't recognise it until you watch it again. You'll see certain things are shot in one take. How the camera tracks people. You know, there's a lot of focus on certain props in the film. uh, And certain sets. And how the camera moves uh, around that focal point. Is really important. Because what I mentioned earlier... how a scene is set and the use of what we call the mise-en-scène um is is fantastic so if you have a scene that's entirely set around a chair you know and it moves all the way around that chair you know focusing on different people as you go along you know that's that's fantastic and and that does it really well especially towards the end of the film uh, when you know the revelation of who the actual bad guy is and how they did it, the camera movement there is particularly fantastic. Um, so you know, hats off to whoever was the uh, whoever was the camera the camera people there. Do I want to move into spoilers? I do want to move into spoilers. We're not just talking about Knives Out today. Knives Out is the the main sort of thing I want to talk about. I do want to quickly touch on uh, maybe a potential new section. And uh, a few things like that. I've I've got a new notebook for the year. Um, I say for the year. It's mainly for until I you know fill it up. But I've been writing sort of things I, for the for the podcast. So I've got um, some Star Wars stuff I want to talk about in the future. Just sort of ranking. I've got ranked, but I've given them a grade of the main Star Wars properties that I've consumed. So that whether that be the films, um, TV shows, the games. Um, because I, you know, I, I realised it dawned on me yesterday that I've consumed a lot of Star Wars over the past sort of year, but also all my life as well. Then, so I'm looking forward to, you know, getting abused for my appreciation of the sequel trilogy. Uh, but then again, I've have written a small um, essay script on uh, two a pair of superheroes that I really like and I think people should check out. So if you want to hear that, let me know about that. I might publish that just on Twitter, um, or I might just uh, talk about it on the podcast. And then for the section uh, later on, we're going to be talking about what am I playing at the minute, because obviously gaming's a big part of my life, and I've had a chance to play quite a bit of single-player games recently, uh, which I don't normally get to do, because I'm normally... um, in in a multiplayer mood, I normally play a lot of multiplayer games with my sort of my friends, big into things like Warzone and things like that and so, you know, that that's that's been quite refreshing and it's also been going back to uh games that I haven't finished playing. Um so there was things like you'll you'll hear about them later, but you know, it was a lot a lot of stuff that I hadn't um hadn't finished playing, and I'm, uh, really enjoyed getting back into them, but more on that later. So we're going to have a quick break, uh, I've talked solidly for about nearly half an hour now, so we're going to have a quick break, and then we can go into spoilers, where I can talk a bit more freely, so let this be known that from this break, there will be spoilers, and I will be back in a second. Right, we're back, uh, We're going to be talking spoilers for Knives Out. Uh, Knives Out, the 2019 American mystery comedy directed by Ryan Johnson with a fantastic ensemble cast. So let's talk about the political stuff. Let's get it out of the way. It was, and it shocked me a bit, um, there's a lot of politics in this film. But before you sort of you know, angrily type that, you know, I'm an SJW or whatever, it's done well because I think Ryan Johnson doesn't take a political stance. Rather he just uses political commentary and social commentary very well. So, you know, if you if you look on the Wikipedia and and you know, Wiki's a great thing, but you look at it and it's It pulls different quotes from uh, different, you know, articles, but I'm more interested in the fact that you've got um, Tony Collette's character of Joni who... Sorry, let me set the scene. They were arguing about uh, immigrant children in America and the whole uh, problem with the immigration office, you know, um, judiciary process in America. And... Tony Collette's character is a sort of influencer-type blogger and she doesn't really talk in facts rather than she reads headlines and is very sort of left-wing up to a point and her daughter's the same. Uh, Her daughter is described as an SJW in the film and they sort of poke fun about this fake form of feminism. But I'll talk more about Catherine Langford in a minute, but Tony Collette's character... You know, she's quoting saying they're putting children in cages and and things like that. And you know whether that's true or not, I'm not here to comment on that. She's reading from a headline rather than reading a uh, reading a, you know a full fact, factual story. On the other side, you've got um, Don Johnson's character of uh, Richard Drysdale who takes a very right-wing approach on this, you know. And he is under the assumption that uh, Marta, Anna de Amis character, her family are here legally when they're not. Her mother's undocumented. But what he says, he uses Marta as this argument, is saying they came here and they did it properly, they did it legally, you know. And he he develops a frank point of view, but then also... What you see in the flashback scenes is how a certain person remembers it. so the the way that um, Don Johnson's character remembers it is that he's right and he's this gracious person and he brings Martha in and, and treats her well and took well, while talking about this this very touchy subject of uh, immigration and but then when um, I think it's Michael Shannon's character. Walt remembers it he's very pig-headed and he's just not a nice person about it and Ryan Johnson he does social commentary very well in that regard you know and he does it even better with the two child characters in in the film as well so let's talk about Jaden Martell's character and Catherine Langford so Catherine Langford's character is this is the daughter of uh, Joni and she goes to this 400 grand a term private school you know the best type of school but she is this uh, huge left-wing feminist and i coined the term social justice warrior but she's a social justice warrior up to the point where she realizes the fact that her education and tuition is about to be cut off because spoiler alert um hard leaves the entirety of his will to martyr you know so when she realizes that She's no longer going to be able to go to the school. She's no longer a feminist. She's a spoiled, rich kid. And on the other side then, you've got Jade Martell's character who's this uh, 16-year-old alt-right troll, as they describe him, where he, you know, he's a troll. He goes on, he bashes immigrants, and, you know, he's always Facebook live streaming, and he shares certain things and that's his personality he, he is this right wing personality as a 16 year old and you know his parents don't understand what he's actually doing and they don't disagree but they don't agree with it as well and it, it's all very funny and it takes the mick out of both sides of the argument but just sort of going back to the immigrant thing is um, uh the Thromby family is described and have a racist worldview, you know, and but the, the, it stems from, I think, classism as well. And this is one of the things that I picked up is they hinted at it throughout the film and it plays a big part in the ending, you know. Um, what you see at the start is when uh, Marta turns up and, she, you know, despite the fact that she was Harlan's nurse and was his friend, she wasn't allowed to be at the funeral. But she's there at the funeral party because apparently, you know, the family voted on it. So there were, you know, people were outvoted, you know, and they hug her very sort of gingerly. And, you know, some of them even refer to them as the help, as, refer to Martha as the help, you know. And, and, and they see her as this other person, despite the fact that she is, you know, she was family to Harlan. Uh, and that's just you know that's that's a political view whether you like it or not and whether it's the right one whether it's the wrong one and it comes from this classism of these guys have had it all and now they're looking at this immigrant nurse who who is the help and it's great because Benoit Blanc sees through the lies of this family and sees through the lies of Martha constantly sticking up for the family because they don't appreciate it. And there's there's a great, you know, the, the thrombies have this view that their father built this empire and he built this, they, they see it as an ancestral house. When Benoit Blanc literally says to them, it's not, they, you know, uh, Harlem bought this house off a Pakistani gentleman in the 1980s. It's not a ancestral home by any means. And I think Ryan Johnson is very clever in that. You know, he we all have a rose tinted view of our family and our family's political views and when you step away from that and you realize that it's not all rosy i think you have a greater appreciation of it as well and the thrombies have become so embroiled in, in money and success and uh, power socially that they you know they have a they look down on people and when they see the regular working man in someone like Trooper Wagner or Lieutenant Elliot or, you know, Marta or Fran, the housekeeper that, you know, we're them and uh, Don Johnson's character has the audacity to quote um, the, the musical Hamilton which is really clever, I thought by saying immigrants, we get the job done and and they talk about, they always get you know, Anna D'Armas's family in the film, they get their nationality wrong. They say she's from Paraguay, Ecuador, Uruguay, things like that. You know, so it's little things like that. It's the microaggressions, they call it in sociology, of um, racial and sort of xenophobic views. But, you know, it all stems, I think, from classism. And and it's a really, really clever script and a really well-done script by Ryan Johnson. And I commend him for that because he makes the film political, but they don't make it, you know, they're not pushing, he's not pushing an agenda, he's literally laughing at all sides of the political spectrum, because, you know, on both sides of of the right and left of the political spectrum, there are people who have just terrible worldviews, you know, but I'm not here to get into politics, this place isn't for politics, but if you think that film and politics don't mix, you need to brush up on history because politics has always been in film from the start and film has always been in politics. It's like sport and politics. Uh, a- any form of media and entertainment is involved with politics. And the, the, the sooner people um, learn that, the better. And But that's, you know, for me, that's given you guys an opportunity to research that and I, and I recommend you do. What else do I like? The comedy in this film. It switches genre quite a lot during this film. You know, that you have the actual sort of mystery detective mode of people doing work, looking at footprints, following clues and things like that. But then you switch to comedy, and the comedy's actually really funny. You know, I, I, I was laughing out loud, and I don't do that in a lot of films. You know, the natural chemistry between people acting like a family, you know? And I mentioned at the top of the show about uh, Harlan and Marta's chemistry, but uh, Jamie Lee Curtis has got a really witty, a sort of comedic mind about her, but she's also really dry. So when she's talking, you're not expecting to laugh, but then she says something that just makes you laugh. And then the way Michael Shannon does improv very well you know, he plays this character with who's quite paranoid and he's on edge and he's got a walking stick and he talks quite funny and he just looks run down. And he he's almost crazy in a way. And now uh, Michael Shannon, you know, he's sort of typecast as that, but he does it really well. And then I've mentioned Chris Evans as this hot headed, you know, young arsehole who he plays that really well. The comedy and then <laughs> I've got to mention Daniel Craig and I and I I need to mention him more because you can't take him seriously because in your mind he is Daniel Craig James Bond this upper class English gentleman spy but he's talking like a southerner you know with his mannerisms and he just talks you know utter shit sometimes you know what he says and you know he's at one point he's sat in a car and there's ambulance behind him because martha's just saved fran's life but he's in there with with his headphones on jamming to a song you know so his his comedic timing is something i didn't realize he had and i didn't realize he had it in him and i think that comes from a stage theater point of view and, and and that shines through so for you know for the comedy to actually be funny is is another thing because a lot of films suffer from it i think and the marvel films are uh the number one in this if you look at the script the script is very funny it's whether the actors can deliver that comedy i think one of the many reasons that people didn't like captain marvel is that not because it wasn't funny is because it wasn't acted funny you know there was no there's a lot of criticism about Brie Larson that she's a very wooden character I don't think she is personally but there's a lot of criticism that she doesn't make you laugh on the flip side then you've got Thor Ragnarok it's a very funny film because the characters are bouncing off each other and I think that's to do with that Thor becomes sort of more Australian in personality because of Hemsworth and then working with another Southern Hemisphere actor like Taika Waititi You know, they bounce off each other. It's another funny sort of film is Robert Downey Jr. with um John Favreau in, in the early Iron Man films. They they bounce off each other. And when comedy is delivered like that it's funny. But you've got to get the right balance of is your script funny and is your cast going to make it funny? And that—that's that, something that this does really well. And I—I I, I don't find a lot of it. I know there wasn't one point where I thought that's a bit cringy or that's not funny. There was always something I found funny, and that—that's—that's that's a constant throughout a film, and that's very rare. Not just for a film that brands brands itself as a as a comedy, but also a um, a mystery film as well. Um, what else have I got written down? It feels like I wrote a lot, but looking at it, I didn't write that much. Oh, the payoff—the ending—it's actually good because because I think you realise what happens very early uh, throughout the film, and you know the main of how Harlan dies, but you haven't worked out the villain because you know you in a in a way you know Marta didn't do it, but then you knew Marta did it. So, you know, you don't know, <laughs> you start making decisions and then you think any one of this family could have done it because they'll have means motives and motives and the resources to do it. And then when you find out that it's Ransom who did it and Benoit Blanc goes in this fantastic monologue at the end and he comes back to the question of who hired him. And I forgot that at the start of the film, he was hired by an anonymous source to um, take this investigation, and it dawned on me. It dawned on me that he he was hired by someone, and then it all clicked. Then that ransom did it, you know. And and the hints were there. You know, Harlan said at the start of the film, "There's so much of that me and that boy." So it's no wonder that Harlan would have said the plan that Ransom had already done, you know. And Benoit Blanc keeps this... He sees through Martha's facade, but he also realises that he, she could never have done it because she's a good person and a good nurse and a kind person. And that's a theme throughout this film, is that Martha's this kind person who just wants to help. And, you know... I'll mention the, the review that I, I think is fantastic, but he keeps making reference to the splatter of blood on Martha's shoe that she doesn't realise, and he keeps quoting like Sherlock by saying the game is afoot. He's saying the game is afoot because he's a detective and, and a charismatic one like Sherlock Holmes, but he's also saying it because Marta has blood on her foot. It's stuff like that. It's them little things you notice when watching a film again or listening to a review that you realise something is there and something has happened. And that film was great because it made me pause at some point to think, oh my god, that happened. And Harlan said this, and they made reference to he writes about knives all his life and doesn't, you know, and people still can't realise the difference between a stage prop and a real thing, you know. And when Ransom, right at the end, tries to murder Marta, he grabs a stage prop because he doesn't realise the difference. Harlan does, and that's where he falls down. And it's the little things, man. It's such... I could could probably sit here for another hour and talk about, you know, the fact that Harlan's favourite mug has you know the text on it that f- describes him perfectly but then you know that no other person would drink out that mug you know none of the family members would take that mug to make a cup of coffee and i f- and it reminded me of when i was uh on my gap year where i'm recorded from now actually in 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 our old office um we had a a tea room where we'd go make like teas coffee hot chocolates whatever it was also like where our chef would put cakes and things like that. But uh we had a cupboard for mugs and uh the first two rows were where we kept our mugs Um or the, the, the mugs that belonged to the, the place where we were living. But on the top row then was our boss's, uh, she had two mugs at the time, I think she has more now, but she had a big Doctor Who TARDIS mug. And a Nottingham Forest uh, mug that we weren't allowed to touch and if anyone ever touched it we'd get an absolute rollicking. in um, and it reminded me of that but then you see at the end of the film that Marta holds and drinks out of that same mug that Harlan drank out of because she's now the boss of the family because she owns everything she is she owns the house the cars the 80 million dollars or whatever it is or billion whatever the 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 publishing company, it, it she owns that now, so she, you know... But she doesn't drink out of it because she owns it, she drinks out of it because she was Harlan's real family, in essence. And, you know, that payoff is fantastic. Um, and, you know, something well worth the wait, I think. Uh, so that's it for the sort of the review um oh I forgot uh if you want to check out a sort of an alternative review to mine but also shares the same points as cinema wins on youtube uh he's probably one of my favorite reviewers because he's you know on the platform and in general because he's he's very optimistic um he looks for the good in every shot every piece of dialogue every film but his review section at the end is is what i um, is what I look forward to because you know it's 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 what I you know, it falls into my line of view with the films is what I'll say um, and he talks you know very well about uh, framing and shot composition and things like that but also characters and but just watch yes yeah, so I've go a YouTube type in cinema wins knives out and watch the two- part um you know watch the thing uh, a few facts about this film. There is actually a um, a few cameos. Obviously, the one I mentioned that is on screen is Frank Oz, um, legendary puppeteer, voice of Miss Piggy, Yoda. Um, obviously, he works closely with Ryan Johnson on uh, the Last Jedi, so he, um, you know, he cameos in this. Uh, as in, I think all Ryan Johnson films there is a cameo from Joseph Gordon Levitt. And he's actually Detective Hardock' voice uh, near the beginning of the film, uh, things like that. It was actually Star Wars that motiv- motivated Ryan Johnson to write this film um, because obviously he was getting a lot, a lot of um, flack for The Last Jedi, um, so you know he, he it just motivated him to make a, a sort of a, a better film. You know, uh, what else was there? There's not much, sort of. Oh, this is great, actually. I'll finish on this fact. I've actually got to edit probably a lot of that out now because it's just me scrolling and reading facts. But there's um, a detail in Hollywood which I found out from Ray Johnson is that. Apple will allow your characters to use iPhones in the film, but a villain is not allowed to use an iPhone, and that's in any film. Which I, th- because Apple obviously don't want to be seen as the bad guys because they want to be seen you know, as the company for the masses. But I found that brilliant, and when you go back and look at the film and you see that, you know, people have iPhones and, and Samsungs and things like that. But the people you see have Samsungs, you think, oh my god, you could be the villain. So I think that, again, that's the, the minute details that make a film, for me, great. And that, that that's, you know, that's the difference between a good film and a film which I rate as a 9 out of 10. Uh, I don't know what i give, I don't want to say it's a perfect film but it's definitely up there. And it definitely goes, I think, into my top 10 of films. And that's something I'll probably do at one point is my top 10 films of all time. Um, But it goes, I think now goes into at least the top 10, maybe even the top five, but top 10 for sure. So that was uh, my review of Knives Out 2019, directed by Ryan Johnson with a fantastic all-star ensemble cast. Uh, It's available. uh, We bought it on Amazon, uh, Amazon Video, but you can buy it on DVD and Blu-ray from all good retailers as well as renting on various platforms. And uh, hopefully it'll come out on streaming services for free soon. So if you've got things like Amazon Prime or Netflix, uh, hopefully it should be out on that soon. Uh, so we've been going for about 50 minutes. Uh, I want to get at least an hour out of this. So a new segment I thought of is What Have I Playing at the Minute? I realise that a lot of my audience may or may not be uh, interested in video games. Uh, I certainly am, so I thought I'd sort of tell you about what I've been playing at the minute and maybe, you know, what I'm going to be playing. Uh, So two games I've been playing heavily uh, since uh, I last spoke to you. Uh, The first one is LEGO Star Wars The Force Awakens. Um, All the LEGO games are easy you know, easy fun, and they keep you entertained for hours on end. You know, they're a great game that I'll happily go through and play the story, but then also go back into all the free play, get all the bricks. You know, and hundred percent the game because they're just that. They've got replayability. They're funny, charming, good animation, good voice acting, especially in the later ones. Uh, I've been playing them for years ever since uh, Lego Star Wars uh, the original trilogy. The complete saga, you know the the prequel ones, and then into more like uh, Lego Indiana Jones, Harry Potter. These, like so I've been playing them for years, and I still, as a twenty two year old man, enjoy them a lot. And uh, with the release of the Skywalker Saga in October, um, I'm very much looking forward to it. So, I, I, I the Force Awakens is obviously based on the seventh Star Wars film. Um. It's it's fine. It's quite a short Lego game. Um, there is a lot to do in the post game, and they it was the first Lego game I think to involve a season pass, um, in which that you could pay I think like seven eighty nine and you get a certain amount of DLCs. So some of them will be extra full scale levels with characters or whatever, and then some will be character packs. So and they did have some really good character packs, uh, particularly the Clone Wars ones, which involved. Uh, uh, characters from Star Wars The Clone Wars, the TV show from uh, 2008 and then you had the Rebels one which particularly had Ahsoka Tano uh, probably the most fan favourite character in Star Wars at the minute uh, you also had uh, the prequel pack which had you know the likes of uh, Mace Windu things like that, but there was also an opportunity in the base game you find Carbonite Bricks which unlock classic characters from the classic Lego Star Wars games. So from like the complete saga, which has like the original Padme design for episode one or the Mace Windu from episode three, the original Darth Maul with his you know iconic hood and whatnot. And I, it's great fun. I'm, I'm still playing through it. I've got, you know, I picked it up from CX from, for relatively cheap. Lego games actually hold their value quite well. You know, so they go from uh, 40, 50 quid new. And then even a game that's sort of, Five, ten years, up, five plus years old, still holds a value from about, you know, I say you can get probably get it from a minimum of £10 to upwards uh, to about £22. So I picked mine up for about 12 quid in CEX. Um, but if you do a bit of shopping around any LEGO game, they do them in bundles. I did play a lot of LEGO Marvel Superiors 2. It was actually going for a platinum on it. And then, then my game got glitched, which means I could no longer get a platinum trophy on it, which was. Very annoying, um, but I had fun. You know, Lego Marvel Superheroes Two was a fantastic game uh, because mainly it only interested me more about my love for superheroes and obscure ones as at that. So you know, on top of the fact you had the main Avengers cast, you had Guardians, you had Wakanda, you had all these, but you also then had stuff like uh, Captain America twenty ninety nine, uh, America Chavez. Um, just characters that I would never normally think of and you know i I pause the game and I'd go on my laptop and I'd go on big binges about who these characters are and things like that and it also had a that also had a season pass and it had a uh, a lot more content in it so I, I'd rate Lego Marvel higher than that, i give Lego Star Wars The Force Awakens a 7 out of 10 um, simply because it's, you know, it's an amazing game, really easy intuitive, whatever but it just felt a bit lacking in content. Um, obviously the Skywalker Saga will fix that. And I genuinely think that could be a candidate for a perfect game. And I'm not even not even joking about that. Uh, the other game I've been playing a lot of. Uh, I bought it again the other day. I remember buying it on release. And completing it quickly and selling it quickly. Because it was an idiot. Is Kingdom Hearts 3. Uh, if you don't know what Kingdom Hearts is. It's quite difficult to get into. And you have to play... The original two It's an action role playing game Developed and published by Square Enix um, And it's a, it's a long time Part of a long time collaboration uh, Between Square Enix and Disney So it has a lot of Disney characters in it And a lot of uh, Final Fantasy characters mainly uh, Basically you play as A character called Sora With his um, two partners Donald and Goofy and you go across different Disney worlds, um, fighting various bad guys. Um, so you go, you go to like Hercules, you go to Monsters Inc., Big Hero Six. This is just in the third one. You know, the first and second one had other other ones available. And then you also meet various Final Fantasy characters. You've got uh, Ratatouille in there somewhere. Toy Story. Um, it's a fantastic game. You know, I've got it written down here. It's my favorite fran- one of my favorite franchises of all time. Um, it's got a great combat system. If you if you've played a lot of games like Spider Man or Arkham, you know that um, timing as well as button mashing is important. You'll like the combat system in this. Um, there's a lot of magic based stuff and uh, sort of attack based stuff, um, a lot of parrying and things like that. And I, I think you know you'll get really into the combat, and you can customize yourself how you sort of how your playstyle is. So for me, I play a lot of defensive. Um, I don't you know, mind having a lower attack stat for a bigger defense and magic stat for me to be able to whittle opponents down but know I'm not going to die in a few hits. Um, the story is very difficult to follow. You know, If you're going to buy any Kingdom Hearts game I recommend going online and say do I need to know anything before I go into this? You know, If you're going to buy Kingdom Hearts 1 on the PS2 is uh, a great game. It's quite slow. The combat isn't the fastest because it was their first time but you buy Kingdom Hearts 2 uh, if you buy the 2.8 remix edition on the PS4 uh, because it is Playstation exclusive uh, you'll see that it's a lot um, what's the word quicker and a lot lot more forgiving as well so I highly recommend that Uh, so I gave that 8.5 out of 10 simply because it's a fantastic game Uh, It's very easy, it's quite short But then again, it also um, Is very, very difficult to get into Um, I haven't really got much more to talk about It's been difficult to get back into podcast mode actually Um, But I'm I'm going to get back into it Um, I'm going to be looking at doing probably another couple of reviews Until I get back on my feet in terms of being able to interview people Um, Because I'm going back home to swansea on saturday um so i'm hopefully going to try and record maybe one or two more reviews this week Um, i'm going to put a poll up on twitter um about what you want me to review so i'm going to put um, a film a tv show or a game up and you guys can help me to decide what we want to do Um, i actually had a tweet from Oliver Ricks about a film I should watch so I might watch that and and give that a shot but uh, my girlfriend suggested we watch Aladdin the new one because I haven't watched it I haven't really been big into the Disney remakes Um, but she watched it the other night and it it didn't look terrible so I think Aladdin could be one that I watch and review but I did mention at the top of the show I've I've got a few things sort of written out I've got an essay on a pair of superheroes that I'd like to uh, talk about. I've got uh, Star Wars stuff. I've got, obviously, what I'm playing now. Um, I'm going to be... I'm actually also, at the same time, replaying Spider-Man on the PS4. Going through that at a higher difficulty. And then I'm going to replay the DLCs as well. Um, I've got Skyrim downloaded as well. I've been playing a lot of that. Obviously, I've played through Skyrim. I've got about 900 hours on that game. But the, the game and the TV show that... And probably next on my list is The Witcher. So I've got The Witcher 3 ready to go. But then I've also got um, the TV show to get through. I've started, I'm about five episodes in, but I might restart it. It's very difficult. I was talking to a good friend of mine called Ed Patrick, Dr. Ed Patrick, actually, who um, streams on Twitch under the name of Parler Patrick, uh, who's currently going through The Witcher 3. Uh, he also runs a um, Witcher podcast. Uh, he's a he's a super fan. I will find the name of that for you now. I believe it is something to do with dandelion. Uh, I'll go into my podcast now, but he's fantastic. So he he knows a lot more than me, and I might actually contact him about a Witcher themed episode because I think that that could be uh, really funny. It's called Dandelion, The Witcher, and The Wardrobe, where it's a comedian uh, Ed Patrick um, and Bilal Zafar. He's a normal Witcher fan. They dive into the um, uh, the Witcher series, uh, so they've got you know an, an episode reviews, uh, season reviews, and then sort of uh, a lockdown special as well. So I highly recommend that. Uh, so that's the Dandelion, The Witcher, and The Wardrobe on Spotify. Um, you can also check out Ed on his other stuff. He's got Comedian Surgery uh, podcast as well. Uh, he does stuff for BBC Radio too. So follow him on follow him on Twitter as well. Um, in terms of podcasts I've not really listened to many more and there's a great Star Wars one called the Rex and Around Show um, where sort of three Star Wars super fans go talk about all things Star Wars um, I Need to Catch Up on Desert Island Discs the um, inspiration for the interview per- uh, part of this podcast and then I've been listening to a lot of the Weekly Planet um, they sort of fuel my knowledge of uh, film stuff and uh, they have here James off the uh, Mr. Sunday Movies, him and his wife Claire they run a great podcast called Suggestible where they talk about things to watch and whatnot. Um I've listened to a bit of uh, Rugby Reloaded by Professor Tony Collins um, about sort of their he does a lot of stuff about Rugby League and Rugby Union and um, you know history and it's, it's just absolutely fantastic, and they're the ones I've listening to at the minute. Uh, get into them. Um, other than that, I don't have much more to talk about. So, quickly before we go, remember you can email me anytime. My uh, email is jamesonatangent at gmail.com. Uh, you've also got the Twitter at uh, James off, James on a tangent you've got my personal Twitter James Reese 8. Uh, other than that I shall be seeing you very soon with another review Remember go on to the Twitter uh, so hopefully guys we'll see you soon and have a fantastic day.